Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Continuing our series today, Power in Weakness, turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 15, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Revealing Our Motivations. It is very hard for any human being to have any motivation greater than himself or herself. It's hard not to think that all of us, in spite of our protestations to the contrary, we live for ourselves and ourselves only. We're like people who've come to the Grand Canyon for the first time, and the only thing that's occurred to us is whether we're looking good or reveling in our own glory. C.S. Lewis once wrote, I never had a selfless thought since I was born. I am mercenary and self-seeking through and through. I want God, you, all friends, merely to serve my turn. Peace, reassurance, pleasure are the goals I seek. I cannot crawl one inch outside of my proper skin. I talk of love, a scholar's parrot may talk Greek. But self-imprisoned, I always end where I begin. Oh, that is, ouch, that's dreadfully accurate. And yet in Jesus, we see the very opposite. The man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And furthermore, Romans 6, 6 tells us that our old self was crucified with Christ so that we have died with Christ. The miracle of conversion is the death of self. It's propositionally true of all believers, But the realization of that, well, it needs to be felt experientially. It was David Garland who wrote that self-denial of first-century Christians like Paul would have caught the attention of his contemporaries. No ancient pagan would would have seen anything like that. How about our world? You know, we're taught that love of self is essential to be complete people. And so more of us stand at the Grand Canyon only ready to take selfies. We've been studying 2 Corinthians, and today we've come to chapter 5, 11 to 15. So let's read. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in a right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You know, the point of this passage is to showcase the motivation that Paul had for his ministry. It's important for the Corinthians to see it because Paul wants them to have the same motivation, and in fact, he wants us to have the same motivation as well. So Paul begins by describing his motivation for persuading others. He is, I think, describing his evangelistic ministry. In Romans 15, verse 20, Paul wrote, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. That is, my ambition is to continue to look for places that have no living witness of the gospel and and have no Christian churches. And then in Romans 15, 23, Paul says again to the Roman Christians, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, I have longed for many years to come to you. You know, up to that point in time, Paul has been planting churches in the urban centers of Asia Minor and in Greece. 
But he tells the Romans, I've run out of room. All the major centers now have a Christian church there. So, so why does he want to go to Rome, which already has an active church? Well, he explains himself in verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And when Paul says, that's my ambition, he means, that's my determination. I'm not going to allow my life to veer from that course. And we also know that Paul viewed his evangelistic work in terms of persuasion. And if we study his activities in Acts, we can easily see that that one of his key tools in persuasion was the use of reason. So over and over again, Luke will describe Paul as reasoning with the Jews in the synagogues. And we find that especially in Acts 17, 18, and 19, but not just in the synagogues. You know, in Acts 24, Paul is described as appearing before Festus, and Luke says, And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get the opportunity, I will summon you. Now, why am I taking time to explain that? I want us to understand that when Paul says, We persuade others, he's not dictating to others. He doesn't have the power to compel anyone to do anything. That's a great example for all of us. Ours is only the task of persuasion, that alone. Later in 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul will speak about destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against God. All of that's persuasion. So that's what he does. That's been his life's work. But what's his motivation to keep going? I mean, he's had so many hardships. So where does motivation come from? Is it self? Maybe it's his own arrogance that he can't be wrong. Maybe he just likes a good argument. Or maybe it's what some false teachers had been suggesting. He's in it for the money. Look again at chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You know, in the previous verse, verse 10, Paul had declared, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So you see, Paul is convinced that everyone, yeah, the apostles himself, the preachers and the teachers in every single church, as well as every single believer in Jesus, will stand before Jesus to give account. And that's what motivates me on, says Paul. It was Jesus who called me on the road to Damascus. And furthermore, he also commissioned me to the task I'm now doing. And in the end, I'm aware, says Paul, that I'm going to be examined for whether or not I've been obedient to the heavenly vision that was given me. So he would answer to a detailed and thorough examination of everything that he's done in life. And so Paul says, I know the fear of the Lord. So to know is not just to be intellectually aware. I know that there's going to be a judgment day. It's it's to be intimate in this matter. And remember that Proverbs 9 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, Paul's not speaking about a gospel of works so that he's afraid about whether or not he'd go to heaven. He's speaking about reverential awe before God. I love what one Bible teacher said. He said, God's love and forgiveness did not deaden Paul's consciousness that God remains a holy and righteous God. He's already said he doesn't want to be naked before God. And he's already said that, you know, somebody can spend their entire life and then have all their works burned up, they themselves only being saved. And then the last part of verse 11, Paul says, but what we are is known to God. And I hope it's known also to your own conscience. Ah, you know, here we're starting to get a glimpse of what led to this conversation in the first place. No matter what Paul's opponents at Corinth were saying about him, 
He wasn't answerable to those opponents. What we are, he says, is known to God. I know that given the truth of the judgment seat of Christ, I'm never going to pull the wool over God's eyes. God knows my true motivation. God knows and has examined my commitments. God has directed what I am supposed to say, and in the end of the day, God will examine each one of my loves and hates. I'm not pulling the wool over God's eyes. And he says, I hope that who I truly am, not what the slanderers say about me, but what I truly am is not only known to God, but to your conscience. Clearly, this is the call for the Corinthians to abandon the rumors that they might have been spreading about Paul's character or reputation. They needed to do it not just for Paul's sake. That's not it. They needed to do it because God is not a rumor monger, a slander. He's he's the God of truth. And of course, there's another matter here as well. By providing himself as an example, Paul wants the Corinthians to examine their own consciences. Are their lives also governed by the fear of the Lord? Do they also think about the judgment seat of Christ when when all of the faulty motivations are going to be stripped away? Or are they so calloused that they think there's no such examination they should worry about? Here's a motivation for our lives. If we live by the lie, do we actually believe that on the day that will come, the lies that we have told will not be revealed? If we live for self-indulgence or seeking only to gratify ourselves, do we imagine that those matters won't be thoroughly examined? Look, I'm not your judge, but you do have one. And more so, it's important that we are not motivated by guilt feelings. I, I know that there are some people who have been so impacted by their culture or their family or their friends and colleagues that they've lost all sense of what God demands of them. Having failed to ground themselves in Scripture, They're not aware of the judgment seat of Christ and how that might compel them into a different life. But no matter what we tell ourselves, there is a place, even for believers, where Christ will examine everything we have ever done and recompense us for what we have done in the flesh. Should that motivate us? Oh, yes, it should. Knowing the fear of the Lord, says Paul, that's what drove him. How about you? Bible Canada is all about Bible teaching. That's our passion, our legacy, and our continued mission. Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld studies, prepares, and presents a verse-by-verse understanding of the Bible, and God is changing lives. So we're excited to announce a brand new resource for 2020, the Back to the Bible Canada Study Series. It's a six-week Bible study video series designed for personal and small group use. Bible teaching at its finest that includes Bible teaching videos, discussion questions, and notes that engage the participant in a verse-by-verse study and greater understanding of the Bible. This series will be made available on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel and by visiting backtothebible.ca. And remember, every resource is available for free as the result of partners like you. Your gift is so appreciated. To learn more or to give today, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Having explained the motivation for his mission in life, Paul then adds, and here I'm reading verse 12, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us 
so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. I think the key word here is the word again. Are we commending ourselves or praising ourselves or are boasting ourselves? And then he adds the word again, as if he's been doing it in the past. And here he is doing it all over again. You know, most of us think it unseemly for someone to boast in himself. I know there are athletes who do it constantly and we seem to put up with it. You know, they say, I'm the greatest and, and we like it. But in truth, even though the public seems to allow for athletes and others to do that, but for the most part, we don't like it when people puff themselves up or pad their own resume or make themselves seem more than they actually are. It's just unseemly. And yet when Paul uses the word again, we're led to wonder. You know, is Paul conscious of the possibility that he might just be overdoing it? You know, actually, I think Paul's referring back to an earlier discussion he's had with the Corinthian believers. So you might remember that, listen, what Paul says here in, you know, chapter 5, verse 12, he has said before. It's in chapter 3, verse 1. So look back at that passage, and there Paul said, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Sounds like he has the same thing a number of times. But what's he referring to? Well, back in chapter 3, he said that, do we, like false teachers, need a letter of recommendation to you from some official source in order to inspire you to think highly of us? So if you listen to me as I explain that passage, you might have remembered that I said that in the ancient world, it was a common practice for anyone who wanted access or influence to a group of people. That person would first appear before that group and present a letter of recommendation from some trusted or influential source. And the letter would typically say that, you know, so-and-so is a respected teacher and I, so-and-so, recommend him to be heard in your group. And then on the strength of letters like that, a person would gain access to teach or to influence a group of people. And that's how the false teachers got into Corinth. You might also remember that Paul says he already has such a letter. He says, you Corinthians, the church in Corinth, the believers there that I led to Christ, you're my letter of recommendation. So if you remember that discussion, now go back to 2 Corinthians 5.12. And Paul's saying, look, I don't want to return to that discussion. We've had that and we've gone over it before. But since we're talking about motivation for the ministry, I'm now giving you a second motivation for my ministry. I want you to boast about us. I want you to treasure us, to appreciate the gospel that we brought to you. I want you to remember that it was God who brought me to you, and I want you to rejoice in the ministry that God has entrusted to me. And when you love the ministry I've provided, this boast of yours that you are changed and transformed by our ministry, that motivates me. Stop for a moment. Think about that. Human motivation, as we all know, is a complicated thing. Yeah? The fundamental motivation must always remain that we might be pleasing to Jesus, that Jesus would look upon our labor of love and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But we also know that we need fellow believers to come alongside us and recognize our faithfulness. We need to bolster each other up. We need to boast in the faithfulness of fellow believers. You know, that kind of an attitude is so encouraging. And furthermore, that kind of an attitude is godly. Now, when Paul calls for that, he has to stop and give a note of explanation. I don't want you to boast about external things. I want you to boast about what's in our hearts. Now, when I read this, I, I'm immediately drawn to 1 Samuel 16. 
Now, that was the time when the prophet Samuel showed up at the home of a man named Jesse. And, and Samuel had told Jesse that one of his sons would be anointed as the next king of Israel. And so Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, he's brought before the prophet. And Samuel, he's impressed. I mean, Eliab is tall. He bears himself well. In his appearance, I mean, he looks like he could step into the role of king without a hitch. And of course, you'll remember what God told Samuel. He said, don't look at his outer appearance. And then later on, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, I don't know if Paul was thinking about 1 Samuel 16 when when he wrote to the Corinthians, but he might have been. Paul's trying to train the Corinthians to move beyond the superficial, the easy judgments that people make about other people. Reject judgments, he said, that are common among people and let the Spirit of God give you insight into what is highly prized in someone else and then you make a practice of prizing what God prizes. See, here's a little bit of insight. The more we get insight into the things of God, the better we're going to be able to appreciate those things that God appreciates. And Paul's confident that both he and the Corinthians are motivated by the heart of God by the judgment that Jesus makes before his throne in which he will reveal the true motivations of men. Are you on the same page as Jesus? Well, if you are, says the apostle, I know you're going to boast about me. You won't join in those who slander me. You're going to stand with me and encourage me never to give up on my ministry of persuading men and women all over the known world to come to Christ. Rejoice in that. Now, if we're following Paul's line of thought, you might still, when you come to verse 13, scratch your head. I mean, what's Paul saying there? I mean, he says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. You know, some translations say, if we're out of our minds, it's for God. You know, it's not easy to be sure of what Paul's saying here, but I have an explanation that I think might help. You know, later in 2 Corinthians, If we go ahead to chapter 12, Paul will describe an experience that he had in which he was taken up, he says, into the third heaven. And then he goes on to say that he saw things that he was not permitted to talk about. Well, if he's not permitted to talk about them, well, we clearly don't know what it was that he experienced. And it may be that back in chapter 5, that's exactly what Paul has in mind. Not that he was ever out of his mind. I think that's the wrong translation. He, He was never crazy. But God had shown him incredible things. And here's what I think Paul is saying. I would never commend myself to you on the basis of a vision that God has given me. That was between God and I. In terms of my ministry to you, well, that was always done in normal human language, using the tools of Scripture, using the gospel as the centerpiece, and then speaking in plain language in order that I might persuade you. That's how the Holy Spirit has been using me. So don't boast about any experience that I might have had in a vision. In fact, look to those things that are commanded by God that God has commanded me to do. Now, up till now, Paul's given us two powerful motivations as to why he just keeps going on no matter how hard the road becomes. First, he always reminds himself that one day he's going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus and be thoroughly examined. And second, he's greatly heartened by the way in which the Corinthian Christians are boasting in his faithfulness to what God has assigned to him. Now, Paul gives the third reason for his motivation to keep going. 
And I might add this, no doubt is the ultimate reason for his ministry, and and that's found in verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So first, Paul says, the love of Christ controls us. Another translation says, the love of Christ compels us. That is, being so loved by Christ as we are. Well, now, that just launches me forward. I have seen that one died for all. Now, I know that there are those who will spend a great deal of time here in arguing what Paul means by all. Does he mean every human being, or is he just speaking specifically to the believers in Corinth? You know, as interesting as that is, I think Paul is speaking about the believers in Corinth because he says to them, look, I know that one has died for all and therefore all have died. He's talking about our own conversion experience. So let's put it all together. Paul is saying, I'm so loved by Christ who died for us. And then all of us who have been saved, we've died along with Christ. And then amazingly, we no longer live for ourselves. So you remember C.S. Lewis' poem, I've never had a selfless thought, he wrote. Yeah, that's, that's true. But in the rest of the poem, Lewis describes how God has been breaking him and that the pains God has given him are precious for he is being liberated from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. That, says Paul, is the love of Christ. It's liberating me from worrying too much about myself and my own hardships. Well, now there's motivation, don't you think? First of all, he's motivated by the judgment seat. Then he's motivated by the praise of the Corinthians. But most of all, he's motivated by the love of Christ. May this be our motivation as well. John, I think motive uh, or motivations is, is significant for each of us. We have motivations that cause us to do something I guess the question is, as Christians, should we be examining our motives regularly? You know, I think motive is everything. I mean, we can do the right thing for the wrong motive, and it stops being the right thing. Ultimately, we are called upon to live for the glory of God and not whatever else that we might put ahead of that. So the ultimate motivation for, you know, for presenting the gospel is is got to be love for Christ, says Paul. That's That's what it's all about. So Uh, Yeah, I think we need to always be examining ourselves and then to be gracious to ourselves also knowing that our God forgives. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Power in Weakness, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. June 2020, Back to the Bible Canada will be partnering with Back to the Bible India to conduct its third annual Bible teaching conference, hosting hundreds of Indian pastors across India, beginning in Delhi, then moving to Hyderabad and Chennai. Under the leadership of Dr. John Newfeld, pastors will learn the discipline of effectively teaching the Bible and sharing the gospel. This year, you can sponsor the attendance of an Indian pastor who may otherwise not have the resources to attend for only $55. It includes the cost of the conference, resources, travel, accommodations, and food. What a great investment in the church. Join us in equipping pastors in India. 
Call with your gift to support international initiatives or to send one or two or more pastors to the India Bible Teaching Conference this June. Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit sendapastor.ca or backtothebible.ca.